What's the hardest thing you've ever had to do? You know, I, I think a lot of us, we maybe had an answer come to mind. You know, there's a, a lot of things, and, and your experiences are, are going to uh, be very different from, from one another. But what is that? Yeah, what is that hardest thing you've ever had to do? See, for some of you, it's work. You know, I was looking up some of the hardest jobs in the world, and one of the hardest jobs in the world is being an Alaska crab fisherman. I don't know if, if you guys have ever watched those shows, like The Deadliest Catch or anything like that. I was doing some work in Alaska a handful of years ago, and I got to see some of those actual fishing boats, and they're not as pretty as they look on TV. I'll just go ahead and tell you that. But they say that this is one of the hardest jobs because you're out on the water for 24 hours a day fighting crazy winds and seas, and you, you can make good money doing it, but you can also lose your life. I was looking up the dirtiest jobs. Anybody ever watched Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe? It's a good show. I was looking up some of the dirtiest jobs, and the, the dirtiest job was sewer inspector, right? Like, you guys imagine you're on, you know, career builder, or you're, you're looking around on LinkedIn, right? And it's like office manager, you know, uh, brand manager, sewer inspector. You're like, yeah, that's the one I want, right? <laughs> you know, sometimes you ever go to, like, the top of a pass out at Rocky Mountain National Park, and you go into one of those bathrooms, and you're like... Praise God for the person that cleans this, right? Like, this person is a blessing to everybody. Like, could you imagine? That, that, that's, a, that's a pretty gross job. But thank God for those that do it. Right? So there's a lot of things that we do, a lot of hard things that we do in, in work, a lot of hard things that we do in relationships and in life. But this week as I was spending some time in God's Word, I was kind of stuck by the fact that I wonder if the hardest thing we do is forgive. I want you to ask yourself that. It, is the hardest thing we do is learn to forgive, to forgive others, to forgive yourself, to, to ask for forgiveness from others, to ask for forgiveness from God? You know, forgiveness is an interesting thing. You, you know, there's, there's, there's these little things that happen in life where we, we begin to get offended or we, we, we get uh, upset or frustrated. We begin to hold grudges. And, I mean, anybody ever get a little upset driving, Right? I-25, right, in downtown. I mean, you know, you ever do this little thing where you're driving and the guy in front of you must be from Ohio. Anybody from Ohio in here? If you're from Ohio, there must be a rule, like you just drive in the left lane the whole time. And so you're, you're on I-70, you're trying to go in the mountains or you're trying to go downtown, catch a Nuggets game or whatever. And somebody's just camped out in the left lane. And you're like politely behind them, right? And then you've given them enough time. And so you drive by and you do this, this little thing. You guys ever do this? Right? And of course, they're looking at you as you drive by, of course. So it, your message was received well, I'm sure. But like we do that, right? And then we're like, man, I hate, just hate driving I-25. Or, or think back to school. You're working on a high school project, college project, project at work, right? And you do a lot of the work. And then somebody else has the main speaking part. And what do they do? They take the credit for what you did. Is that frustrating? Of course it is. So there's these little things that happen in life. But then there's the big things. I think so many of us have experienced the big things in life. We're somebody that we're close to, or it's a company we work for, it's somebody that we, we love and we feel betrayed. Or, or somebody you're in a relationship is not true to you. And you, you find yourself in a place where you not only get offended, but you begin to hold a grudge, you begin to resent, you begin to get bitter. And, and the, these things start really swelling up inside of you because... 
Let's be honest. Forgiveness feels like a dirty little word. I don't want to forgive the, these, that person. I want to forgive these people. I don't want to ask for forgiveness. And I wonder, when I said the word forgiveness, did somebody's, mind, did somebody's face pop in your mind? Somebody that you're waiting for them to ask for forgiveness or that you need to forgive yourself? The Mayo Clinic did a study on forgiveness, and what, what they found was that when you carry around grudges, the, the accumulation of the wreckage of relationships and past hurts, it, it neg- negatively affects your health. Notice what it says. It says that when, when you carry around these past hurts, it brings anger, bitterness into the new relationships. You know, they talk about you want a new relationship, but you have to remember it's the same you going into that relationship, Right? That one kind of hurts, right? I need a new job. Everything's going to be right. Yeah, but it's still you in that job. You know, so we carry this stuff with us. We become so wrapped up in the wrong that we can't enjoy the present. Anybody ever been there? That one hurts. We become depressed, irritable, anxious. We feel at odds with our spiritual, with our faith. We lose valuable and enriching connections with others. And I just wonder, maybe you're tuning in online today, you're here in the room, and you're carrying around some of that weight, those grudges, those past hurt feelings that just build into that feeling of of wreckage in your life. Resentment, bitterness. And it's been said, because I've heard this before, that resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And maybe you're there now. And so I'm so glad you are because I think Jesus has something to say about this idea of forgiveness. See, the Bible talks a lot about forgiveness and 127 times. And I think the reason is, if Jesus' plan for your life, as he says, is the best plan, that Jesus knows what is best, as the, the, the one that has created and designed us, our creator knows what's best for us, and he knows forgiveness is not what's right for us, then I think we should listen because there is something to this idea of forgiveness. And I wonder, what if the difference between what you're experiencing now, what you're feeling now, And the freedom that the Bible talks about is as simple as forgiveness. Now you're like, hold on. (laughs) Forgiveness is not simple. I didn't say easy. I said simple. Forgiveness is not easy. Relationships are hard. Life is messy. But I wonder, is, is this one of those things that we try to brush under the rug, right? This idea of forgiving other people. Because I don't know about you, but in my life, it's been way easier to just try to forget about it. Anybody been there? I'm just going to brush it under the rug. I'm going to hide it in a box under my, my bed, and I'm not going to deal with it. But you know what's funny about Jesus? As you begin to get to know Jesus, you know what Jesus does? He, he likes to put a little un- discomfort around you so that you'll pull the box out from underneath the bed. You'll open the lid, and you'll address it. Because Jesus knows that we never can truly experience freedom as long as we're trying to brush that stuff under the rug or hide something. He knows it all. And he wants to, us to experience the, the full, deep life, the rich life, the peaceful life, the hopeful life. And to do that, we need to let him get into the inner crevices of our heart and soul and mind and get rid of the mess. And a lot of us, where that needs to begin, is through forgiveness. So I, I want to look at one of Jesus's parables today about forgiveness. It's called the unforgiving servant. It's in Matthew chapter 18. And I think in this, you're going to see that, that Jesus is, is pretty straightforward about the need to forgive. Now, if you've been with us the past month or so, we've been walking through different parables and we, we're looking at some, and some of these parables are kind of hard to understand. Some of them are pretty simple. The unforgiving servant, straightforward as it gets. It talks about the danger of an unforgiving heart. So I want you guys to take that seriously today. I want you to look inside and say, Is Jesus talking about me? 
Okay, Matthew 18. Grab your Bibles. Let's open up here. Matthew chapter 18. Just a little recap in, in the story of what's going on here. Um, in, in Matthew 18, Jesus is um, going to be talking about um, what do we do when somebody sins against us? Like, right, right? What, what, what do you do when somebody sins against you or there's sin around you? And, and so Peter asked Jesus a question. Um, Jesus is talking about forgiveness, and uh, he's tugging at Peter's heartstrings. And so Peter comes, and he asks Jesus this question, and it starts here in verse 21. Notice this. It says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? So Peter, he's just asking this question. Jesus says, you need to forgive. And Peter's like, well, how many times should I actually for, forgive someone? Should I give him up to, to seven? Now, what's interesting about that number, is some of you guys might like Bible numbers, and seven's like the perfect number. And, but the, the Jewish rabbis at the time of Jesus would teach that you should forgive somebody up to three times, right? Somebody offends you, you forgive them. They offend you again, you forgive them. They offend you again, you're like, hey, bro, you got one more time. And I'm going to cut you off, right? And, and so then that's it. But, but Peter knows that Jesus is, he raises the bar on everything, right? And you just look at the Sermon on the Mount. He raises the bar on everything. And so Peter says, Jesus, I know, you're, you, know you, you understand these better than anybody does. So what is the number? Is it seven? And, and it's interesting to me. And notice what Jesus says. Look, look at verse 22. Notice what he says here. And Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Anybody's Bible say anything different? Some of yours might say 70 times seven. So how many, what's that? You quick math people? 490, right? So whether it's 490 or 77, can we agree that's a lot? <laughs> that's a lot. Like I can count to three pretty easy. I could still count to seven. I'm going to lose track counting to 77. And that's the point. That, that, that's the point here. Now, I don't know about you guys, but anybody here just love numbers? Anybody here love math? Like three of you, we're praying for you, right? We're, we're, we're praying for you. Get an Apple phone, and then, you know, it'll do it for you, right? But I, I don't know, but I think as people, we do love numbers, though. We don't love math, but we do love numbers because it, it, it builds in guardrails, right? So how, how many of you guys have ever been... Uh, have a goal of how many steps you're going to walk. You're going to walk 10,000 steps a day. And then you get home and you've walked 8,000. What do you do? Just straight walk into the living room, right? Just, you know, try. Or, or you got you to get to like 100,000 to get that bonus at work. You're going to get 500 bucks and you're like 20,000 steps away and you walk the neighborhood till two in the morning. You know you've done it. Don't lie. Like I know some of you have done it. Like we love numbers, right? Like we, 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 we love numbers. We, we, like to, to have this idea. We like the speed limit, right? Because we know we can go how much over? Eight, five, five. I knew a highway patrolman once. They said, eight, you're great. Nine, you're mine. Now, don't, if you get pulled over at eight, it's not my fault. I'm just letting you guys know what that person said, right? So but we love numbers because why? They give us guardrails. So I, I, just kind of admission here. I, I like to pretend I'm a gym rat, but I'm not. George Smith, he's the real gym rat. But I just try to keep up with him right? Uh, but I like to pretend I'm a gym rat. And my, my mind has always been, I just got to get to a number, right? So I throw two plates on the side and I'm just going to get to 10, 8, 6 or whatever, right? 15, 12, 10. If you guys go to the gym, you know what I'm talking about. And so you, you just try to get in just so you can say you did it. But I, I've started to subscribe to this new workout plan, which means lift to within two reps of the point of failure. 
So if you know what that means, that means you lift. The point of failure means you're going to drop it on your chest and look like an idiot in front of the whole gym, right? So you get almost to that point, and then you rack it. And you know what? I've been doing that, and it hurts. And it's not fun, but it's so good. It's so good. You can probably tell, right? <laughs> you're like, no, I can't tell, right? You need to put some actual weight on the bar. Like, that might help. But the, like, the reality is, I think in God's economy, in God's kingdom, there's this reality that we aren't supposed to, to count. We don't need guardrails and numbers to help us count. God says, don't stop until it hurts. Don't stop forgiving until it hurts. Go until you can't count anymore. And that's the idea, right? right? It's just like uh, this, this idea. The point is to forgive. So many times you lose count. Why? Because when we forgive that many times, we remove ourselves from trying to take vengeance on the other person. We remove the resentment and the bitterness of trying to get even on the other person because we've forgiven so many times. That, now, we're going to talk later. That doesn't mean that we just let people walk on us. That's not the case. But it does mean that we, we pursue radical forgiveness. And you might hear that and you might think, Jesus, that is crazy. Why would I would ever do that and just open myself up to get hurt? Like, Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. And so then Jesus tells us a story to help answer that. And that's where we get the parable of the unforgiving servant. Okay, so notice here, Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. Notice what it says. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master, ordered him to be, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Okay, so this guy owes the king a lot of money. And you might say, like, wow, he's going to sell this guy? What is that about? Well, it seems pretty intense, right? Like, why can't he just work out a payment plan with this guy to pay it back? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. If you guys remember, a few weeks ago in the parable of the talents, we talked about a talent being 20 years wages. So we said, what if you make 50 grand a year for 20 years? What's that? Math person? Million dollars. Million dollars. Yeah, right. Yeah. Million dollars. Okay. He owes them how much? How much, how much did he owe them? 10, how many talents? 10,000 talents, right? What's 10,000 times a million? You guys know what that number is? It's a huge number. It's $10 billion. Somebody say $10 billion. It's a lot of money, right? We'll all agree, $10 billion. And let me ask you this. What's the monthly payment plan for $10 billion? Right? Like, he's not working out a payment plan with the king, right? The king's like, that is a little too much, right? And so... He's going to throw him into debtor's prison. Now, that sounds intense, but so, so think about it like this. So in that culture, um, Roman influence created this thing called debtor's prison. And so if you and your family had a debt you couldn't pay, they would put you in debtor's prison. And what debtor's prison meant basically is you worked. You would build roads. You would build buildings. You would do all those kind of things. You would be the sewer inspector, right? You would do all those things until you paid back the debt, and then you would be freed. And so that was just the way it was. And this is what happened in first century Jewish life. And so this guy couldn't have claimed bankruptcy. He literally would have to go to jail, build Roman roads until he paid it back. So the king says, send it. But notice what he does. Notice what this guy does. Look at verse 26. Notice what he says in verse 26. It says that this man, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him. So he's, he's imploring the king. It means he's begging. He's asking the king for something. He says, have patience with me. 
and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant, the king, released him and forgave him the debt. Okay, so this guy, he, he falls on his knees. He says, king, I, I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to pay you back. Just don't send me and my family to debtor's prison. And the king, he says, he, he forgave him. $10 billion. He, he forgives him the whole 10 bill. And, and, and notice this, that he doesn't work any kind of deal out. Hey, you know, give me a hundred bucks a month until whatever, until you're 650 years old, right? Like he just says, no negotiating, no payment plan, just immediate mercy. One second you owe 10 billion, the next second you owe nothing. What is that? Radical forgiveness. Somebody say radical. Forgiveness. So why is Jesus teaching us this here, right? He just told Peter, Peter, you need to forgive 77 times till you lose count. And then he tells us a story. Why does Jesus tell us a story? Because Jesus wants us to see ourselves in this story. Now, you might say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, God, I get it. I'm, I'm, not, the, I'm not the best. Sure, sure I'm not the, the perfect person. I've said some things. I've done some things. I've hurt some people. But I don't owe $10 billion. Like, my, my mess-ups and my sin and my brokenness, it's not worth $10 billion. Like, that's reserved for Hitler or, or Pol Pot. Or, you know, somebody like that. This, this, this isn't me. And I think one of the things Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to see it in perspective. He wants us to see ourselves in light of, in our perspective, in light of an all-holy, perfect God who created us. And who created us perfect. And it was sin that led to brokenness. I love what Exodus 15, 11 says. Don't turn there. You can look it up later. But it says this, that who is like you? Moses talking to God. Who is like you? He says, you are majestic in holiness and awesome in glorious deeds, doing all wonders. How holy is he? He's majestic in holiness. So we might not think we're too bad when we compare ourselves to each other, right? But when you compare yourself to an all-holy, all-perfect God, the reality is we're nowhere near. We're, we're nowhere close. Our sin has put us so far in debt. So if you're taking notes, here, here's just something I, I want to just drop with you right here. I think this is the concept that I want us all to take heart, is that sin leaves us with a balance too big to pay on our own. Like the reality is we can compare ourselves to other people. We can think that I'm not that bad of a person, which, which you might not be. But when you compare yourself to an all-holy, all-perfect God who created you to walk with him in community and, and, and beauty, and then you end up letting sin sneak in, and because of the fall of man, we are so far. We are carrying such a big debt, and we don't even understand it. Sin is costly. And you can never, just take this, I want you guys to understand this. You can never do enough good deeds to earn God's favor. You can never be good enough to earn God's favor. You can never be holy enough on your own to earn God's favor. But you want to know the beautiful thing is that while we were so far from God and so far in debt because of sin, Jesus came and died for us. Look at Romans 3 says. This is, this is so impactful. Notice this. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short, fall short of the glorious, of God's glorious standards. Now, that, that Greek word for everyone, it's really interesting. It means everyone, all of us, you and you and me and the guy out there on the street, all of us, right? We've all fallen short of God's standard. Why? Because of sin. Verse 24, yet God. Somebody say, yet God. That's so good. Let that fill your spirit right here. Yet God and his grace... 
freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So here, okay, question and answer time. What did you do to pay off your sin debt? Nothing. What did you do to earn God's grace? How'd you do it? You didn't. What did Jesus give up to buy you back from sin? Everything. And so then who is the one that paid the debt for us? What is it? Jesus. Like the beautiful thing, guys, here, recognize this. Like Jesus is the one that it pointed to that would come and pay the debt for everyone. See, in Jewish culture, they would bring, uh, they would have the Day of Atonement, and they would bring, every family would bring an animal, like a goat or pigeons or whatever you could afford, a ram, um, and you would go to the temple, and then you would lay your hand on that animal, and the priest would actually kill the animal. And so in that moment, you realize, like, wow. Like, we don't get that in our culture, right, because everything's so clean. But imagine, you're in that culture, your hand is on that animal, your kids are standing behind you, and the animal loses its life, and the life drains out of that animal. And you realize, I write in like, wow, my sin was so bad that God asked me to do that. You did that once a year to remind you of the, the, the power and brokenness of sin. Well, then the Bible points forward to this Messiah, this Redeemer that would come one day and take upon the sins of the world. And Jesus came and Jesus stepped out of heaven and he came and he did this for all of us. He was rejected by all of us. He was rejected by his own people. And then he went to the cross. He became the sacrifice once and for all for humanity. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just think about that. Jesus took that upon him, so you never have to put your hand on that animal. Jesus took that upon him, so you never have to face the true ugliness of sin and brokenness and rebellion. And he asks us to put our faith in him because he is the one that carries the weight of paying off the debt for us. Because we had nothing to understand it or earn it. And in our ugliness and our brokenness and our unloveliness, Jesus did it for us for free because he loves us. So here's a question, guys. Have you experienced that? Like, can you, can, can you say, I have experienced the grace of God because of what Jesus did for me and died for me on the cross and forgave me of my sins. And when Jesus rose from the grave, he declared that death and sin have no hold on you anymore. Faith is what saves you through God's grace. Not the strength of your faith, but your faith in believing what Jesus did for you. If you have not done that, do it right now. Do it today because it's the biggest decision you'll ever make and it is what frees you from the shackles of sin and death. It's the freedom that comes in Jesus. So in this parable, Jesus gives us this story to help us see that we are the guy that owed $10 billion worth of debt. But he goes back to tell us more. Notice this in this parable. The guy doesn't get it yet. Notice what happens. He's just been forgiven $10 billion, and notice what he does in verse 28. Notice what happens next. But when that same servant went out, he found out one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii and, and seized him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Now, 100 denarii is like 100 bucks, right? So Jesus is saying, hey, you just got forgiven $10 billion and you're choke slamming this dude for owing you 100. Okay, keep that in mind. So he's like, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and he went and he put him in prison until he could pay the debt. 
When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the master, to the king, all that had taken place. Okay, so notice this. So he refused, and he threw this guy into prison. And you guys might look at that and go, what a terrible dude. Like, what a wicked guy. He just got forgiven $10 billion, and he won't even forgive this guy $100? And we can easily start to judge this guy because, well, he, he was a terrible dude. But I think Jesus is showing us something here. How often have we done that? Like, how often have we been forgiven $10 billion by Jesus, and yet we hold somebody else, and we don't forgive them because they owe us 100 because they offended us, because they said something to hurt us, because they took the credit when we deserved it, because they would drive in the left lane like they're from Ohio the whole time I was trying to drive downtown, right? Like, how many times have we been this guy? See, Jesus is trying to demonstrate to us how easy it is to have a disconnect between head and heart. Somebody say disconnect. It's so easy for us to be disconnected. It's like a light switch. You know, you walk in your room, you turn off the light switch. We have this switch for some reason. That, that when somebody offends us, we just turn that switch on because we get angry and we get upset. And, and it can be big things. Somebody you love has broken your trust. That is so hard. You're in, in your natural state. You're not going to be just think, oh, I forgive you. No. I mean, that's so difficult. But what happens to us is we leave that switch on. And that switch causes us to be resentful and bitter. And it eats us up from the inside. And it ruins our relationships. And it ruins the way we look at the world. And it can ruin our faith. It won't ruin our faith, but it can distort our faith. And it can separate us from just having that connection with God. And out of our frustration, we put a chokehold on that other person, like this guy did. So notice what happens. The king finds out about it, right? When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Verse 32. Then his master summoned him, and he said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and you should not have and you and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. And then notice what Jesus does. Jesus is talking to Peter in the crowd, right? And then he turns it. He turns to the crowd and he says this in verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now what Jesus is saying here is not you're going to lose your salvation if you don't forgive somebody. What Jesus is saying is I want you to see how serious forgiveness is. I want you to see how important it is. This is a warning. Jesus is saying this, the greatest evidence of our forgiveness is how we forgive other people. You want to look at how you recognize how much God has forgiven you? Just look at how you forgive other people. Just ask that question. How, how do I forgive others? See, the, the reality in life is God knows everything. I mean, sometimes we try to hide it. We try to brush it under the rug, right? We, we try to pretend that God doesn't know. Truth bump, God knows, right? Like, God knows everything. He knows what you think. He knows what you're getting ready to think. He knows what you're getting ready to do. Like, he knows what you did, right? You didn't hide that from God. You may have hid it, from, hid it from your teacher or your spouse, but you didn't hide it from God. But God knows everything, and, and that's just the reality. And, and the reality is, how do you have a relationship with someone if you don't ever spend time with them, right? And, and, and only God knows our heart, and, and the evidence of, of, of your life is revealed in the things you do. So, for instance, I could tell you, man, I love Courtney. I love my wife. But if I never spend time with her, 
if I never make her delicious Americanos in the morning, right? If I never took her out to dinner or I never watched shows with her or we don't do anything and we just pass each other and high five on the way out the door, then do I really love her? You know, if I say I'm 90% committed to my wife, what's she going to say? Well, then you're not committed at all, right? And so I just think there's this, this idea that, like, the fruit of my life demonstrates what I'm all about, and, and the forgiveness of your life demonstrates if you've been forgiven. It's just it's a reality. You come, you, what, you get, what you put in demonstrates what your heart, where your heart is. Career, hobbies, relationships, faith. Your faith demonstrates it. So Jesus wants us to look under the hood. How do you react when somebody offends you? How do you react when the server messes up your order? How do you react when the guy at McDonald's puts ketchup on your burger, even though you asked him twice, right? Like, how do you react when somebody betrays you? How do you react when somebody takes the credit? Does our life demonstrate forgiveness? Because if it doesn't, here's what I want you guys to take home. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just trying to, we all need to look under the hood. Does it demonstrate our lack of forgiveness? Does it demonstrate that we have never truly been forgiven? Or does our lack of forgiveness demonstrate that we just don't understand how far we were from God and how big our debt was and how much Jesus has forgiven us? Take that to heart. Don't miss that. That Mayo Clinic study I was telling you guys about earlier, it was saying this, that when you choose to forgive, forgiveness is a choice, right? You're not just going to wake up one day and be like, I love forgiving people, right? It's not going to happen. you got to choose to forgive. Here's what the Mayo Clinic study found. When you choose to forgive, it leads to healthier relationships, Improved mental health, we need that. Less anxiety, stress, and hostility. Fewer symptoms of depression, lower blood pressure, stronger immune system, improved heart health, and improved self-esteem. Notice this. God created the world to work in a certain way, right? And when you go, as we like to say around here, when you go against the grain of the way God made the universe to work, you get what? Splinters. And a lot of us are walking around right now with gauging pieces of wood in our hands. Because we're going against the grain and God says, choose to forgive, learn to forgive, and you will recognize the freedom that comes. So I think what Jesus wants us to see here is that when we let God's forgiveness wash over us and change us, it recognizes this, that forgiven people are forgiving people. Somebody say that. Forgiven people are forgiving people. So this is, I, I think we need to look at our own life. Are we forgiving people? So here's the question. How do we let forgiveness go from our head to our heart? Just two thoughts, and then we're going to be done. And a couple quick takeaways. First one is this, gospel reminders. If you're taking notes, write this down. Gospel reminders. Scotty Smith says this, the toxins of bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness are too deadly to store on the shelves of our hearts. Help us rehearse the gospel more than the ways people have failed or hurt us at a ratio of 100 to 1. See, what, what he's saying here is that we need to be reminded how much God has forgiven us. We need to be reminded of the $10 billion sin debt that Jesus just wiped away for us. And, and we, we, so often you come to church and you're like, well, what should I do? Read your Bibles. You know, it's like, we're not saying read your Bibles and pray and spend time with God as a check the box. We're saying read your Bible and pray because it's how you spend time with God. And as you spend time with God, you're reminded of how good he is and how much he loves you, how crazy he is about you, that Jesus came and gave his life for you. So we need those gospel reminders. We need to, to pray and thank God for his forgiveness for us. So we need to build in those reminders. And I don't know what your rhythm is in life, but you got to find a way to do it. 
Because sitting around hoping that one day you'll understand forgiveness will never happen on its own. It's not till you understand the forgiver that you can truly understand forgiveness. So you got to build in those reminders. Second one is this. you got to practice radical forgiveness. The reality is we keep score with other people. We keep score with our spouse or with our kids or with our parents or, or whatever it is. But how many times have you said, oh, I'll forgive, but I won't forget? How does that work, right? Like, yeah. You know, you had a really bad meal at a restaurant. You're going to go back? Did you forgive them? You didn't forget? Like, you forgive and forget. That's why Jesus says you got to count. you got to forgive so many times that you forget. Because if you've forgiven 77 times, you've forgotten what they did on number 23. Now, again, Jesus doesn't want us to get walked on. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus wants us to, to build healthy relationships. But Jesus wants us to choose ahead of time to be forgiving people and to be able to practice radical forgiveness. Hebrews 8.12 says this, and, I, and Jesus is saying this, that I will forgive their sins and I will never again remember their, I, I'm sorry, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. That's God's promise to us and that should be our promise to other people too. So we forgive and we forget. Lewis Smedes, he writes this, this is so good. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that prisoner was you. And that's the reality, I think, guys. And even if we never reconcile with that person, even if that person never asks us for forgiveness, there is this reality that we need to, to turn our hearts to God and say, God, I give this to you. I give my humility to you or my, my pride to you. I give my self-righteousness um, to you. I give this self-resilience that I think I need to carry around to you, God. And I just ask that you move in my life and work in my heart. So this is the idea. We need to practice radical forgiveness and we need to get really good at building in gospel reminders. On the evening of June 17th, 2015, there was a group in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and they were meeting in a church, and they were having a Bible study. And some of you may be familiar with this story. It was a Bible study at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston. And there was a a guy that walked through the door, a young guy, and they welcomed him in. They said, come on down and and, and open God's word with us. And, And then at that moment, Dylan Roof pulled out a gun and killed nine people inside the church. You guys, if you guys remember this, it's a heartbreaking story. Just such a heartbreaking story. Roof was arrested before he could take his own life, and at, at one of the hearings, um, Nadine Collier, whose mother, her name was Ethel Lance, who lost her life, spoke up, and she looked at Dylan Roof, and there's a cr- room full of people, and everybody's calling for justice, and everybody's calling for, and, and, and he, he needed to, to, to be put in jail and, and face the consequences for his sin. But Nadine looked him in the eye and fighting back tears. I want you to hear her words. She says this. She said, I forgive you. You took something really precious from me. I will never talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. And I don't know about you, but I read that story when it first happened, and I thought, put myself in that place, and I thought, how could somebody do that? How could somebody forgive someone for such a huge sin, such a huge situation? But then you know it dawns on me, and I hope it dawns on you, that the only way you could ever do that is if you realize just how much God has forgiven you. And that when we see that Jesus has forgiven us of everything, it changes our hearts and puts us in a place 
well, we can be able to forgive others. So as we close, as, as I invite the band back on stage, I want to ask you this. This week, here's my challenge for you. Is who do you need to forgive? Who is that, that name or that, that face that came to mind when we talked about this, that maybe God is tugging at your heart and God is saying that I, I want to encourage you to pick up the phone or send a text or take somebody out to coffee and just ask them. Start a conversation and say, I forgive you. Who is there in your life that maybe you need to ask forgiveness from? Maybe you said something hurtful. You did something. You took something from. You betrayed. And God is tugging at your heart to go and say to them, I am so sorry. Would you please forgive me? And I wonder for some of us, as we listen to this story and we ask God to work on our heart, let's truly look under the hood and ask ourselves, do we recognize God's forgiveness in our own life? And that may mean for some of us right now as the band plays this next song, we need to just sit in our seats and, and repent and say, God, I'm sorry for letting sin and ugliness and bad decisions sneak in and get in the way between my relationship with you. And maybe for some of us, it's time to ask God forgiveness, God's forgiveness for the very first time. Say, Jesus, I know, that you, I, I believe that you are the king who came and died for me and rose from the grave. And I ask for you to come and I forgive me of my sin and I repent and I turn from that. And I turn to you. And you know what Jesus promises? When we do that, he is faithful to forgive us and to save us and to set us on the path of life. So forefront, let's be forgiving people. Why? Because we're forgiven. Would you pray with me?